Welcome to episode 73 of the It's About the Money podcast. My name is EJ Fagan, and tonight I am joined once again by Dominic Lanza. EJ, how the hell are you doing on this Friday evening? Oh, I missed you so much, Dominic. Missed you too, uh, buddy. Oh, yeah. See, we Dominic here, if you guys haven't heard, has uh, has uh, run away uh, to the Gilded Halls of River Ab Blues. He's their newest blogger right there, which we congratulate him on, even though we hate him for leaving us. I hate um, me too. Has not yet left us. <laughs> Is Scott Moss. Hey guys, how you doing? Scott, we got the band back together again. I'm so excited. We got some actual Yankee news to talk about. The Yankees have signed a player. They signed Chris Carter to a one-year deal worth about $3 million plus incentives. Scott, what do you think about this deal? Well, first, what I really wanted to do for this podcast, but I suspected you guys might not have gone along, is pretend that we have Greg Bird on the podcast. And then I would just guess what I think Greg Bird's voice is and just let loose a stream of profanities about Chris Carter's signing. And it could have gone viral. It would have gotten a suit for defamation, granted, but, you know, it would have been a fun ride. But given that we didn't do that, you know, my take is it's probably a good signing in that it's low cost. He's insurance against either Greg Bird's shoulder or Matt Holliday's AARP card showing that neither is really ready for full time. And if I read and understood it right, he's $3.5 million, but they can keep him for 2018 because he's actually not a free agent yet. He was released before that. So it seems like it's a nice job of on the cheap buying an option for 2018 when they won't have Holiday at DH anymore even. And insurance against Bird and Holiday. I mean, the only bad case scenario, and tell me what you guys think, is that if they were to do something really dumb, like decide that Greg Bird is a platoon player, so he never hits lefties because that's Chris Carter's job. But I'm hopeful they won't do that. I mean, yeah, that's the worst case scenario is that they determine me immediately that bird is limited or bird shouldn't do this or do that. But I mean, it's probably not the worst thing in the world as they ease Greg bird back into the lineup that if he, uh, if he sits against like the tougher lefties against, you know, the Chris sales of the word world. But, um, I mean, this is also presupposing that bird is completely healthy, which I, you know, we don't know that he is, um, especially because he slowed down a lot as the Arizona Fall League ran on. So this could be insurance against something that kind of already happened that we just haven't heard about as fans. I mean, so Greg Bird's a left-handed hitter, plays first base. Matt Holliday's a right-handed hitter, plays in theory outfield, but is slated for DH. Chris Carter's a big righty, uh, could in theory play first, but really should just be a DH. So what, what do you guys think is the role of Chris Carter kind of in this trio? And my hope would be it's something like he plays first base one or two times a week, DHs one or two times a week, and then that adds up to about halftime. But if Holiday slow, it looks slow or either of them gets hurt, then Carter gets more. So it's pretty easy to see Carter getting something like 300 plate appearances just spelling the other guys some of the time. And I hope it works out as that. And then if someone goes down or isn't very good, then you're glad you have him on the break glass in case of emergency basis. I mean, I think the big missing piece there is pinch hitting, right? And I think that, you know, the, the Yankees are a right-handed lineup, and so having a, your best pinch hitter be a right-hander isn't optimal. But he's a really good pinch hitter. I mean, Chris Carter can hit a home run when you need him to hit a home run. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of players on this roster that, you know, I would like to see him pinch hit for basically every game that they're starting. You know, Austin Romine, I think, you know, every single Austin Romine game should either have a Gary Sanchez or a Chris Carter pinch hitting appearance. You know, I think, uh, 
you know, you've got Starlin Castro. I think you should pinch hit for him. You can pinch hit for him in late innings, and you know, to, to great effect. I think if you know Ronald Torres is up there, obviously, you know, I think I think Ellsbury and Gardner can very often use a good right-handed pitch hitter. So I think that honestly is to me the big value there. And you normally you don't get a guy you can hit, you know, with that kind of power. Um, even if you know he's got other flaws to be your to be your designated pinch hitter, but no one wanted Carter. There was really no spot for him, and so you know the Yankees just got a bargain. And the one other thing that is possibly in their minds is that you get guys in case of scenarios that are possible but not certain. So if either Ellsbury goes down with an injury or is terrible, and boy do the Pakoda projections at baseball perspectives hate his 2017. Or if Judge underperforms, I mean, there's a scenario in which they could use another guy in the outfield. And as much as I wouldn't be thrilled to see Holiday playing in the outfield, if Holiday is hitting enough, then he can fake it in the outfield and still be of some value to the team. Kind of like a lot like Beltran was when he was at least hitting well and killing you in the outfield, but on the net still positive value. So there's a scenario in which Holiday has to play the outfield more than would be ideal. And then Carter slots in a DH at least... That's not great, but it beats something like trotting out Aaron Hicks into the outfield or, you know, there are weird scenarios like Rob Refsnyder or Torres getting a lot more time. At least Carter's a better guy to sub in to let you substitute Holiday into the outfield if you have to. I, I think there's not – I think there's a non-zero chance, maybe even a good chance that Matt Holiday is the opening day right fielder because I I, I have no nothing to back this up other than my own feelings, but – I'd be kind of shocked if Aaron Judge is on the opening day lineup. I think he's really? going to be in the minors for at least a few weeks um, because it just seems from what I've read, what the team has said and how he was used and everything that they're not completely sold on Judge. And I think the signing of uh, Carter might be a little bit indicative of that too because like Scott outlined, he's an insurance policy for... DH, but that doesn't just mean that he's an insurance policy should Matt Holiday be hurt. It's insurance policy in case Matt Holiday is needed elsewhere. Judge also is in a situation where I think a couple of weeks in the minors kicks back his free agent clock one year. Yeah. I think he would need to be down till, uh, till, I think it's usually like what, the 28th or something like that? It's like four weeks. Well, it's, it's, I think it's normally four weeks, but he also, he accrued some service time before September hit last year. So the way that it works, that a September call-up doesn't count towards your, your free agent clock. Um, but he came up in August. So he has right now 0.051 years of service time. So I think it would actually have to be longer than – it would have to be like – normally it's like six days I think you need. And I think he would need something like a month or so. Yeah, um, and you know, per what Don was saying about possibly being fearful about Judge, you know – it's hard to evaluate some signings because really confidently. This is why I don't like the internet comments like they're so stupid for signing X because teams know things about their players that are private information, especially negative stuff they're not going to tell you. So what I fear slash suspect is that signing Carter could have just been opportunistic in depth, but it could be that they're less confident than we have reason to think in either Bird's shoulder or Judge's performance. I mean, I'd been fully confident that Bird was fine, but maybe I'm wrong on that and maybe you're right about Judge. So... I guess we'll see if it turns out that one of them is less than a full-time player. This will be a sign that they saw that coming. You know, I think that, 
you know, Carter. Carter was a free agent, and Carter has many, many flaws in his game. But he's an above replacement level player. He's been playing the field for a lot for a lot of these years, even if he's not that, that good at it. And I do think that he's a he's a, a good DH candidate if you can kind of run with the, the the slumps and you know take advantage of the hot streaks. Um, so it's not the worst thing in the world if if Matt Holiday ends up playing a couple of months in the field. Even though I think we'd all prefer you know at his age that he he's primarily a DH. Um, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about Aaron Judge when we t- we're going to talk about Pakota projections in a second. Another player, young player, though, that we haven't talked about yet that I think is probably the most consequential impact of, of the Chris Carter signing is Tyler Austin. So, Dominic, are you concerned about what the Chris Carter signing does for the future of Tyler Austin? I mean, yes and no. He, I think at the most basic level, is filling the role that we expected Tyler Austin to fill. And that's the backup first baseman slash person who does something against lefties, even if that only position he could play is first base or DH. But um, Austin, I think, still has a minor league option year after Two this years. year. Yeah, so he's not he's not going anywhere anytime soon unless the Yankees don't want him. And it's also important to know that you know he wasn't very good for two and a half years before he. I guess you could say, like, re-broke out this year. and <laughs> Good line. I like that. And that, because don't forget, he was a top 100 prospect a few years ago. And then... He was, he was, a, he was one of my favorite players in the Yankee farm system as of, like, circa, like, 2012. Yeah, you know, he was great. He was great in 2012. And then in 2013, he was bad. And then in 2014, he kind of bounced back a little bit, but still wasn't very good. And 2015 was when people were talking about him just being released or cut saying he'd never make the majors and then all of a sudden last year he was the same guy i mean he had all those wrists and hand injuries and everything so that could have caused it but you know he's he's a guy that the yankees probably know a lot about considering he's been in the organization since 2010 um he's also already 25 so i don't know if we should even consider him a prospect at this point considering how long he's been around and it's not that old well for a prospect who fell off the map for three years it's not young sure but i mean there's a lot of major league prospects who don't break out in the majors or really have a real rookie season until they're you know 26 27 yeah i'm I'm not disputing that it's just i don't know that he's a player that you have anything any one thing that stands out and says i can't believe they're blocking this guy assuming that's what they're doing at all Oh, I, I agree. I don't think he's good enough to be worth to work to like protect from competition, which is what you would do if you weren't signing Chris Carter because of Tyler Austin. Um, you know, but yeah, and I, but I actually think he's he's probably just about as good as Chris Carter. The thing is, though, you can option him down and kind of preserve that resource. So if Chris Carter doesn't do well and Tyler Austin is, has a hot start, you just you know release Carter and and, and you know you got Tyler Austin as your your uh, your your pinch hitter. Yeah, I mean, I think Chris Carter was probably one of those guys who was. The Yankees reached a point where he was too good to pass up yeah. because, I mean, you look at Mike Napoli signed the same day for five and a half million dollars more in the same one year contract. Is Mike Napoli five and a half million dollars a year better than Chris Carter? No, but you know the Yankees saw some kind of competitive advantage there. You know the whole Ninja Cashman stick and all that. But I I wouldn't be shocked if the Yankees don't have a concrete game plan with Chris Carter either other than knowing that he has to be on the major league roster because of his deal unless they just cut him I I think it was just he's an asset he's available 
Spring training starts in less than a week. Let's bring him in. If you guys could go back in history and uh, erase the Matt Holiday signing, would you? And, and you would still get the cheap Chris Carter. Would you do it? Yeah. I think I would because that's what I was looking up right now as you sp- speak. I read how your much, mind, Scott. I got you. Yeah, yeah. How much is he expected to be worse than Holiday just at hitting in 2017? And Chris Carter there for a 107 uh, weighted RC plus on Fangraphs and Holiday. I'm not at my fingertips, but he was. If anything, the question is, how much do you really believe in a bounce back by Matt Holiday? I'm skeptical. His ground ball rate is up, but um, and he's old and he's immobile. But you know, Fangraphs really seems to like him. So uh, I think in a way it worked out well that maybe Holiday was a bit of an overpay given how cheap Napoli and some other guys ended up being. But if they got Holiday for maybe a couple million more than he's worth and kind of a deal on Carter, they're now pretty stocked at this position. And it's not like, like you said, it's not like anyone is so good that they should be insulated from competition, whether Tyler Rothson or Holiday or Carter. Uh, for what it's worth, Pakoda has uh, baseball prospectuses, all encompassing offensive metric is true average. Uh, they project Chris Carter for a 267 true average and Matt Holiday for a 279 which is pretty close, all things considered, especially when you're factoring in, it's about, what, a $10 million difference? Holiday's mm-hmm. making 13 this year? Yep. And so the question is, is there something else they could have done with $10 million? But here's the thing. I don't see any big holes they really could have filled for $10 million. Do you? You yeah, can assign Jason like they... Hamill and Chris Carter. Yeah, probably. I mean, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. that Jason Hamill's great, but Jason Hamill plus Chris Carter would have been $14 million this year. I think Jason Hamill's better than who the Yankees are playing in you know, the fifth star spot right now. Or taking a flyer on Greg Holland. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that I think you know that kind of money is valuable. These are all one-year deals. They're all potentially tradable, probably more tradable than Chris Carter would be, even if Chris Carter is having a Chris Carter season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's hindsight is twenty twenty. I think the Yankees probably leapt at what they thought was a good deal at the time, and then all these DH types just kind of went nowhere. Um, and so I don't think I don't blame them. I'm not yelling at uh, Brian Cashman for this, but I think it's interesting to see that you know, they, you know, this, Chris Carter is essentially Matt Holiday. Even though Matt Holiday is a little better on defense. You know, Chris Carter is younger. He's probably a little bit more reliable. Um, the one thing I'm concerned about Chris Carter, and the the problem with Chris Carter is that he's so streaky because he relies on very low probability events, home runs. It basically doesn't do anything else. Um, that you know he's it's hard to tell whether he's playing poorly or whether you just haven't seen the good part yet um, and I'm that concerns me because he could go into a slump and the Yankees could keep playing him with the hope that he's going to get better because he always gets better and at the end of the season he's batting 175 yeah that's a risk and I actually misspoke by the way Hamill signed for two years and 16 million total I thought it oh, was. Wow. Yeah, it's five million in twenty seventeen, nine million in twenty eighteen, and a two million dollar buyout on a uh, mutual option in twenty nineteen. And no mutual option was ever picked up by both sides. So, so it's a guaranteed I, sixteen million over two years. I'm gonna put that down. We've covered Carter on the block quite a bit. We actually talked about him fairly recently, I think, in an episode when we were discussing you know potential signings we could we could bring up. Um, but I want to move on to the Pakota projections. Uh, so Dominic this year uh, helped to edit, was one of the editors on the Baseball Prospectus Annual. It's a great book. I don't get it anymore. I really should. I used to get it every year. I have a nice collection of like mid-2000s BP Annual books. Um, so Dominic, uh, tell me about Pakoda and what's interesting for the Yankees. 
So for those of you who don't know, Pakoda is uh, Baseball Prospectus's pri- uh, proprietary projection system that they use for everything. It's basically like a, you know, Zips, which I think we talked about, EJ, the last time I was on the podcast. Yeah, except, wow. Except, like a month ago, huh? Yeah. Except they, uh, I'm pretty sure theirs is considered the most accurate uh, within the industry. Um, I don't know if that's just because they have the most connections or, you know, the the longest and oldest voice in projections, but uh, there have been GMs and everything who have cited it. I think uh, Andrew Friedman actually cited Pakoda once when he was with the Rays talking about a signing, but... Uh, so their projections came out earlier this week, and there's nothing that is is extreme relative to the other projections. I don't think... There's anything too crazy there relative to what we've seen, but the first thing that jumped out at me was uh, it's projecting Masahiro Tanaka's worst season by ERA at least by a pretty comfortable margin. It projects a a 3.81 ERA this year. His career ERA is 3.12. Uh, his worst was 3.51. He's coming off a 3.07 ERA, and it's well above even his indicators from last year. His FIP was 3.47. His DRA, which is uh, another baseball prospectus metric that measures ERA with uh, defensive contributions, was 277. So they're projecting something to cause a backslide. EJ, before we started recording, I think you said maybe it's something in a strikeout rate. Yeah, I mean, his, I, maybe they're reading into the trend, um, which is it's weird that they're projecting the strikeout rate to kind of recover. Right. Um, but, you know, Tanaka went from, I think, what, leading the majors in strikeout rate, strikeout rate two years ago to last year being kind of blah. Yeah, he was a little um, bit below – he was a little bit below average for a starter. Yeah, so, I mean, that's really my only guess. That's the only statistic that it, it can know about. I think that's a problem. But I don't I'm – not, I'm not concerned about Tanaka going into this year. I think Tanaka is going to, going to be, you know, pretty good or about as good as he could be. Uh, Scott, what do you think? Yeah, I don't really get um, why it is they think that – Tanaka's going to get worse, just to stick with that one. Um, because they're not saying he's going to have anything that much worse uh, in his fundamentals. Um, so I don't see what's going to be worse about him. I mean, it's, it's home run rate. They're saying it's going to be about the same. Um, strikeout rate, they think it's going to recover to 8.4. They think his walk rate, no, they think his home run rate will be 1.2 per nine. His walk rate, 2.1. And his strikeout rate, 8.4. Um I don't know how you get a higher ERA when, if you believe in fit, basically, as I know, you know, you're even if anything a stronger believer than I am, EJ. Um, from um, the same home run rate as always, about his average K rate over time, and maybe a slight uptick in walks. Um, it seems like they're just, you know, uh, projecting worse. And yeah, they also project a lower BABIP for him, so it's not from that. So I don't see how you get him having a about the same fundamentals as always, and a slightly lower than league average BABIP and a worse result. It's actually yeah, funny. I, I Sorry, EJ. I just I didn't notice that before Scott said it. Yeah, they have his walk rate increasing by half a walk per nine over his career average. Um, that's kind of, so, that's a pretty big jump, especially considering he's never walked right, more no than trend. one for 6.9. Per I, have nine. One, I, have one, I have one possible theory about this, which is what I saw at a Mike Trout's projection. So Mike Trout's been a very good player, but just as importantly, a really consistent player in... Really? Yeah, yeah. You may have heard of this guy. He plays for the Dodgers, I think, somewhere in California. So he averages, <laughs> nine, he averages 9.1 warp in baseball respect is his measure. He's projected for 8.0 this coming year. Okay, a pretty substantial decline. 
He's not getting older. I suspect that what Bakoda does and what a lot of projection systems do is assume some regression to um, of any statistic that's a far outlier from the league average. So what is it that Tanaka does that is far, far better than league average? Well, his walk rate of 1.5 per nine for his career is really his best stat. So I wonder if they're just projecting that to go up for no particular reason. I strongly suspect what they have is some part of their algorithm that just says that if you are, you know, 78 standard deviations better than the league in some stat, you are going to go down a bit. Um, So I suspect they're doing that. I don't love projection systems that do that because that's just kind of made up and conservatism for its own sake. But I suspect that's it. I don't really know, though. I mean, remember it's a, it's a robot, right? I mean, they they're they're feeding the statistics his his history into you know what we know about prior histories, and you know maybe it's finding something we don't we don't know of. Maybe Tanaka is is, is unique, and the prior data you know isn't all that useful. Um, you know, Tanaka has an odd prog- a career progression coming over from, from Japan. Uh, you know, switching to the two uh, you know the, uh, uh, the the two different schedules. He had the injury in 2015 that kind of made him look a little bit worse than I think he really was. So you know, I, 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 you know, we have to just you know expect that's a dumb, a dumb program, but a dumb program that you know can give us some wisdom. And I mean, honestly, if I'm looking at this and I'm Brian Cashman, I'm thinking about trading, trading Masahiro Tanaka before you have a chance to figure out which, you know who's right. Just one um, more thing about not how you know odd this projection is. It's less his ERA jumping to the three eights because he's you know his career ERA of three point one two. He's been at his highest three five, but. He's basically been a five and a half WAR pitcher per full season for all three seasons the Yankees have had him. He had a little bit less in the shorter seasons, so five and a half WAR give or take is how good this guy has been on a full season basis. They project this coming season two point six, so they literally are saying that with no basic difference in his core fundamentals like walk, strikeout, home runs, that at age twenty eight he's going to cut his value in half. So I, I just. I love the advanced stats like a lot of people do. I know we all do. But there's one thing that's lost in the advanced stat era when you have mega advanced stats like War, Warp, and Picota, and Steamer. I have no idea what the heck goes into them. And there's actually not a lot of transparency as to why they're saying this guy isn't good. At least when I was growing up and in the 80s. When you had some grizzled idiot old sports writer who's saying, I think this guy doesn't have the stomach to stay this good. At least you knew why he was saying you guys didn't get better or worse. I have literally no idea why some really smart people at BP think that Tanaka at age 28 is not going to get worse at any particular skill like walks, homers, or strikeouts, but will lose half his value. I kill to see the, the secret sauce of Dakota yeah. because I mean, I've heard Nate Silver describe his 538 elections model. And and the way he describes it, I'm like I can write that if I if I knew what everything he was if I had all of his data, I could probably write that into Stata like right now because it, it was a relatively simple model um, with you know simple. The hard part is that is the data and getting into the form that he has it. I'm assuming that it's a basic regression model, um, you know, with maybe some fancy stuff thrown in like some kind of clustering, but. Fairly, fairly basic stuff. Um, but I want to move on to another just, player. So Dominic. Just one last point, just to follow up on what you're saying about, you know, Nate Silver disclosing, you know, what's in the sauce. He doesn't give you the formula, but he'll typically tell you why if there's some anomalous result, like someone's yeah. going to win this primary. The baseball prospectus write-up of Tanaka, I mean, I love baseball prospectus. I, you know, bought a copy as soon as it possibly came out. They, they, a write-up they, edited by Dominic Lanza. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I assume this isn't your fault, Dom, but, you know, if you're projecting someone to get this much worse at age... Sorry. Yeah. Continue if you reject someone to get this much worse for no apparent reason, you'd think that the paragraph right up in baseball prospectus would have hinted why, but I don't see it. So I wish they just gave us an indication of why their projection is so odd. Yeah. Would you like I, to respond, I, 
Sorry. Oh, especially since <laughs> we're finally last tirade. Be, especially since their last sentence on Tanaka is quote, "He's been as consistent a performer as Keenan Thompson on Saturday Night Live." Well, if this guy's the most goddamn consistent performer ever, why is he going to get fifty percent worse out of absolutely nowhere? Dom, why did you? Why do you hate freedom? <laughs> well, I actually when I when I was editing the book, I actually just added an eight into his ERA. No, um, I honestly, well, the comments are actually written, um, at least some of them independently of the projections. So it's possible there, but honestly, I I don't know. Um, I could, there are some people I could ask about it to see if there's anything that stood out in the numbers, but it's strange. And it's not like another one who I want to talk about who we actually talked about with zips, but that's, uh, Michael Pineda who, who Pakoda has having the best full season of his career. Better than Tanaka. Better than Tanaka, yeah. I mean, I'm Pineda's biggest fan, but I'll take Masahiro Tanaka. Yeah, they have his strikeout rate staying extremely high at just under 10 per nine. His walk rate staying low at around two and a half per nine. And his ERA improving by uh, over a full run, almost a run and a half from last year and almost a full run from 2015. But I mean, that's the same old story. He's a He's a FIP beater in reverse. I don't know what to call him, but uh, maybe this is the year he finally puts it together? Question maybe. mark? So we, we don't have a lot more time. We, we only have seven more minutes before Scott has to go. Uh, so, Dominic, can you give us one more player we can talk about? Uh, I mean, I, I had another pitcher, but I feel like maybe we should switch to hitters. I mean, what do you guys want? Give me an idea what kind of flavor hitter. you want. Give me a hitter. Hit me. Didi Gregorius. <laughs> What's his projection? They have him at a slash line of 259, 309, 400, which is basically last year minus all of his power. That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. They also how have much... his defense backsliding, which I thought was interesting. If I'm if I'm a betting man, and I'm going to assume that Pakoda. A lot of the, the middle infield types that had the big power surge last year, we've talked about this on the podcast a lot. I'm going to assume that Pakoda doesn't distinguish between those types and the first base types who didn't have as much of a power surge. And so they don't expect Didi Gregorius and many other shortstop types to have that same power surge. And I think that if the, the run environment stays the same, the ball stays juiced, I think that it's exactly those kinds of line drive, just barely over the fence hitters that are going to reap the most benefit from this. I don't think Chris Carter benefited from the ball being juiced because I think Chris Carter hits the crap out of the ball no matter where, you know, no matter, you know, essentially every time he hits the ball hard enough, it's going to be a home run. Whereas Didi Gregorius needs that little extra oomph in order to get to 20 home runs. And so I, I will take the over on all of the middle infielders that I bet that Pakota underrated. And the under on the on the power, on the first base slugging types. You know, striking looking at the Yankee projections, how many folks they have basically the whole team between one point two and two point three WAR. Um, Greg Bird's a little lower than that, but they're assuming a little less playing time. But basically, everybody they think basically everybody who's a starting hitter on the Yankees, other than Gary Sanchez, is going to be average or a take below average but adequate. I mean, these are some super boring projections, I got to say. Yeah, but other than uh, there's one I, do, I disagree with quite a bit. So, but let me ask you before that, wh- which of these do you think is the worst projection? Greg Bird. Yeah, I agree. They got Greg Bird at uh, 272. Th- uh, no, I'm sorry, 270 true average, 
two, uh, 328 on base, 457 slugging, 1.1 wins. I think there's some some they're nicking their their playing time assumptions aren't too strong either. I think Greg Bird is a, a 2.53 win player. Yeah, and they have Greg Bird at 1.1 and Aaron Judge at 2.0. And just based on what they've accomplished at AAA in the majors, Greg Bird for someone who yes he's coming back from injury. Um, I don't know how much they're including that. I suspect a lot because. He's been such a consistent performer at all levels of the minors. He's not been up and down. He had a third of a season in the majors where he was on pace for a three-win player. So they must be discounting a lot for guys in the past who've come back. Power hitters who come back from a shoulder injury, maybe they're more bearish on, is my guess. He also just doesn't have a major league track record to fall back on. I'm going to say that I don't think... I think if you look at his season in a granular level at the end of 2017, I wouldn't be surprised if it looked like this. But we see something big change over the course of the season, kind of like how it, it might be more starker than this. But last year, Didi Gregorius sucked in April, and then the rest of the year, pretty much he raked. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Greg Bird with an OPS in like the 600s. A rough shaking period, basically. For a month or so. Exactly. And then at the end of the season, you know, he has a line something similar to this. But then you see once the weather starts to warm up, once his reps are in, you see from the rest of the year, he hits like... 260, 340, 490 or something like that. I also think there's there's just a really interesting range around Greg Bird, right? There's the, there's the possibility that Greg Bird has, Bird has a 390 on base percentage this year. And I don't think it's that crazy of a possibility. He walks a ton. He hits a lot of home runs. You know, if his bat isn't too bad, boom, there you go, right? You, you, you've got it. Um, you know, I do think that that's the type of player we've overrated in the past. So, you know, if, if you had asked me blind like five years ago, if a, you know, a 390 on base and a 500 slugging what's the, you know, for a first baseman, what's the war? I would have been like six. In reality, it's like three. Um, and that's pretty good, but it's not, um, you know, it's not it's not MVP caliber. But I think that's fine. I think that's who Greg Bird is. And it's a huge upgrade over Mark Teixeira at that, at that spot. Um, another player that I, I just want to kind of pick on, um, right here that that I I, uh, I don't really buy. Um, and I think that's uh, I don't really buy Jacoby uh, Jacoby Ellsbury all the way down at 1.2 wins. That's low. Um, I'm let me check and see what he's actually done these last couple of years. But I mean, he's been like a basically a two win player. And I know that that sounds like a like a small quibble, but I mean that's half of his value. I think he's going to be about twice as good as um, as they project him to be. Um, so, you know, of course, actually, you guys looking here, baseball perspectives does not like his defense. Um, and his defense, yeah, I don't think, is key. great. Yeah, it looks like they're projecting a normal offensive season for for him, um, the normal for the last couple of years at least, but with bad defense. And um, I think that's a – I mean, they're projecting – I mean, wow, last year they thought he was a 15 – a minus 15 defender. I don't buy that. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's where that's coming from. I think he's – I think Ellsbury's a two-win player. Yeah, his his projection on offense is basically – splitting the difference between 2015 and 2016 and actually giving him a slight surge in power. I mean, not that you can call a 118 <laughs> ISO a surge in power, but for him it kind of is. Yeah, and I also think, you know, there, there is, for Ellsbury, I think there is a little bit of slack that could potentially be taken up. I wouldn't bet on it, but I think that, you know, there's a chance that he could slug 400 or something and still, you know, and still maintain all the other skills. Um, but that's about all we've got for today. Scott has to go, and we're going to try to end this at an even 30 minutes, as everybody tells us they prefer. Uh, so for Scott, for Dominic, thank you guys very much for listening. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Please leave a comment on this post if you'd like to ask us any questions in the next episode. And uh, uh, please uh, you know, send us an email using the contact form on the website. Everybody have a 